uh, brothers and sisters in the faith, we are truly happy to have you join us to study again the teachings of our Father and also the teachings of His beloved Son, our King Yahushua. Now, when Yahushua was still on earth, His disciples came to Him and asked for signs about the end times, about His second coming. And so Yahushua gave some statements in the book of Matthew 24. And also in Matthew 24, He says something that takes on the form of an instruction, which is the subject matter of our BQA for today. Why does Yahushua tell those in Judea to flee to the mountains? This comes from what our King Yahushua said in Matthew 24, 14 and 16. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So in verse 16, our King Yahushua instructs, let those in Judea flee to the mountains. So why does our King Yahushua give this instruction? According to our King Yahushua in verse 15, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, that's when you ought to flee. Why does our King instruct those in Judea to flee to the mountains when they see the abomination of desolation set up? Because that would signal that the end will Come. Now, when the Bible speaks of the end in this passage, it's not referring to a one-time moment of the second advent of our King Yahushua. It's used in this context, and especially if you look at the Greek word, which is telos, it refers to a period of time that is marked by the abomination of desolation. This is why our King Yahushua referenced the book of Daniel, because he was the prophet who spoke about the abomination of desolation. So for us to understand the scope and meaning of what Yahushua meant when he said those who, who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, we need to, write, to, to read and understand the book of Daniel. So we have to go back to the book of Daniel and look at the prophecy that pertains to the abomination of desolation. And so let's go ahead and jump to Daniel chapter 9. 23 to 24, because remember, it's our King Yahushua himself who tells us to read and understand the book of Daniel. This is why it's good that we have already studied the book of Daniel. And so this is basically a review of what we have uncovered so far. So we go back to Daniel 9, 23. As, you, as soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. And so Daniel, at this time, were together with the people of Israel, were in captivity. Babylon first, and then Persia. So Israel, as a whole, were in captivity. Daniel, a prophet of God, he was highly esteemed. And so when he prayed, he was given a vision about the plan of God 
to restore the holy city of Israel and to restore the people of Israel, including Jerusalem. And this plan that Yahuwah has for the restoration of Israel and Jerusalem is a plan that will span 70, quote, sevens. And so the plan that was given to the prophet Daniel is a, is a period of time that will require 70 sevens. Take note, the plan of God is for the people of Daniel. Well, who are the people of Daniel? It's for the holy city, which is the holy city. And so the people of Daniel, we know, is the people of Israel. And so Daniel 9, 23 to 24 is about the plan of God for Israel. It's for the restoration of Yasharal and also Jerusalem. It will take 70 sevens. The word seven in Hebrew is the word Shabuah, Hebrew 7620, which is actually a period of either seven days or years. It's likely, in fact, all major, almost all scholars believe it's referring to a week of years. Because when you look at the context, it's not speaking about a week, which is composed of days, but, but a week of years. And so the plan to restore the people and to restore the holy city that requires 77s, what it actually means is 70 periods of 70 years. Okay, so 70 periods of seven years to restore Israel and Jerusalem. And so Yahuwah has a plan that he disclosed to Daniel. Our King Yahushua is telling us, look at this plan because it has a connection with the end times. And so what does this plan include? How will Yahuwah or Israel and the holy city? Let's read Daniel 9.25. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. And so in the plan of restoration, it involves the one who is called the anointed. Do you know who the anointed one referred to in this passage is? We all know it is the Messiah. The word Messiah means anointed one. In Greek, anointed one is Christos, Messiah. And so it's speaking about the Messiah. You see, in the plan of God to restore Israel, he's speaking not just of physical restoration. He's also speaking of spiritual restoration. Of course, it's good to have the physical aspect, but spiritual restoration is more important. And so to carry out the physical restoration and then the spiritual restoration, the Bible says from the time to rebuild physically Jerusalem until the anointed one will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. We know the total plan of God is going to be completed in how many sevens? Seven zero, 70. Here it says seven plus 62 sevens. How many sevens does that make? 69. And so after 69 sevens, 
we know the anointed one is going to come. Because when the anointed one comes, there's already Jerusalem. There's already a temple. However, the anointed one will do so much more than what they anticipated. And so the set, so the set, uh, the anointed one is going to come after the 62 sevens. But what will they do to him? What will the people of Israel, who was already brought back to their land after captivity, who was allowed the temple, who were given a temple that was rebuilt, and so when the anointed one comes, what do they do to him? Let's keep reading. 26, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. And so here's Yahuwah. He tells Daniel what to expect. The temple is going to be rebuilt. Jerusalem and the walls are going to be rebuilt. And then I'm going to send the anointed one, the Messiah, to complete the work of restoration. But what did they do to the Messiah, to the anointed one, when he came? According to the plan of Daniel, according to the vision of Dan given to Daniel, the anointed one is going to be cut off. In other words, the Messiah is going to be put to death. He will be cut off and will have nothing. In other words, the people of Israel... They're not going to benefit from the work of the anointed one. The anointed one will be cut off from Israel. Israel, instead of benefiting from the work of the Messiah or the anointed one, they will have nothing. Why? What would happen? Because they kill the Messiah. If we keep reading, the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed because they killed the anointed one. They do not benefit from his salvific work. Not only that, they bring condemnation upon themselves. What is this condemnation? They will be destroyed. The sanctuary included. The temple will topple and we know this was fulfilled when? 70 AD. But it doesn't end there. The Bible says war will continue until when? Until the end. Desolations also have been decreed. And so when they cut themselves off from Messiah, when they killed him, Israel as a nation would go through desolations, would go through wars up until the very end. Because they rejected Messiah, who is the core at the center of this plan of restoration. And so after they kill Messiah, we all know what happened to the people of Israel. However, does it mean that the people of Israel no longer have any home? In the book of Romans 11, 25, 27, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should, you should be wise, in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when you take away their sins. And so does it mean that Yahuwah has given up on his nation, the people of Israel. No, 
The Bible says it's only temporary until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so this tells us when Israel killed the Messiah, what happened was the Gentiles now was grafted in. And so the plan of restoration for Israel was broken. It was transferred to the Gentiles. And so when the Gentiles, which, by the way, represents all the other nations, they now have the opportunity for salvation through who? Our king, Yahushua. And so now the focus is on the salvation of the ecclesia, which allows nations, Gentiles, to be included in this work of restoration. And so the time clock for the restoration of Israel pauses after the 69th week. And so it's now focused on the Gentiles. However, once the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, the clock, the um, work of salvation, the work is going to go back to Israel. This is why there's one period of seven years left. The final week, the 70th year. And so when the ecclesia has been harpazo, when the ecclesia and the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, the final seven weeks, the final week, the 70th week is going to commence because it stopped when they killed Messiah. Because when they killed Messiah, Messiah was cut off. Israel was also cut off. It's going to resume. The last week, the 70th week, the last seven will now continue. But what is this one last week all about? What is the 70th week all about? Not entirely good news. Because in Daniel 9.7, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. And so the last seven, remember, when the Bible says seven, it refers to a period of seven years. So the 70th week is a period of seven years. This is the last seven years that will be for the purpose of restoring the people of Israel. This is what Daniel chapter 9 is all about. Now, when will this begin? When a covenant is made. And because of this covenant, it's going to allow for the people of Israel to again use the temple for worship. But something's going to happen in the middle. And so when we look at the 70th week, the last seven years, we know that in the middle, something is going to happen. This is why we create a mark at the middle. And so if seven years is divided into two at the middle, how many, how many years do you have in between? You have 3.5 years and another 3.5 years. 3.5 plus 3.5 equals Seven. So far, so good. The math is not too difficult, right? Because this middle of the seven years is important because it is 
highlighted by the prophet Daniel. He said something's going to happen at the middle of the seven years. And what will happen at the middle of the seven years? Uh, the Antichrist will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. And so at the middle of the seven years, the Antichrist is going to set up the abomination of desolation. This is what our King Yahushua was talking about when he spoke in Matthew 24, 15 and 16, when he said, when you see the abomination of desolation, what do you do? You run into the mountains. And so when our King Yahushua says, run into the mountains, those who are in Judea, he is speaking in the context of Daniel and the abomination of desolation, right? And so we know when Daniel spoke about the abomination of desolation, it concerned the plan of God for Israel. And so those who are to flee to the mountains, according to our King Yahusha, must be the remnants of Israel. Because the remnant of Israel is going to place their hope and trust in our King Yahushua for salvation. And so his audience in verse 16 is the remnant of Israel, and they are to flee from Judea to the mountains. And how swiftly must they act so that they can survive? 17 to 20, let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. So our King Yahushua says, as soon as you know that the abomination of desolation has been set up, immediately if you're on the roof, don't bother getting the stuff, get, taking anything out of your house. If you're in the field, don't go back and get your cloak. Immediately flee to the mountains. Don't hesitate. Don't be like Lot's wife who hesitated. You have to go straight to the mountains when the abomination of desolation has been set up. Why is that? Why does our King Yahushua instruct the, the remnant of Israel to run to the mountains as fast as they can? What does it mean when the Thus, the abomination of desolation is set up. What does that mean? Matthew 24, verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And so why does our King Yahushua instruct the people who are in Judea to flee to the mountains as fast as they can when they see the abomination of desolation set up? Because that would usher in what is called the Great Tribulation. So when we look at our timeline, the last seven years, the 70th week, at the middle, when the abomination of desolation is set up, the last 3.5 years refers to the Great Tribulation. And this period of time is what Yahushua is speaking about when he said the end will come. He's talking about the last 3.5 years, and because it's going to come, those who are in Judea, you better flee to the mountains 
because this tribulation is unlike anything that has happened before and it has no comparison concerning to even the future. So it's something unprecedented, something terrible, great distress, and it's going to result in the deaths of many martyrs for God and for our King Yahusha. So he tells them, flee to the mountains. Now, when it says flee to the mountains, where exactly is that? Where is this place that they must go to? Remember, how many years are they going to need protection for? How many years? 3.5 years, right? And so apparently there's going to be some kind of protection there in the mountains for 3.5 years. Where could this be? Let's read Revelation 12, 13 and 14. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And so where is this place? Because you know, she says, go to the mountains. Where in the mountains? The mountains near a wilderness. And so those two kind of go together. The mountains near the wilderness. Because in the wilderness is a place reserved by God that is going to be the refuge for this woman. And how long will this woman be nourished for in the wilderness? Bible says time, times, and half a time. Now that's an Hebrew idiom that the Greek adopted in Revelation chapter 12. Because time, times, and half a time means time, referring to one year. Times means a double of that year. So one time plus two plus a half. So one plus two is three and a half. So three and a half years. This is why in 12.6, it mentions, and the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1,260 days. 1,260 days. Well, how many years is that? 3.5 years. So there is a place in the wilderness where Yahuwah prepared, that Yahuwah prepared for the woman to run to, to be protected from the serpent or from the dragon. And this place, quote unquote, a hideout, will be the place they can find a refuge for how long? 1,260 days. So the terms, time, times half a time, 1,260 days is 3.5 years, which tells us it's speaking about that period of time called the Great Tribulation. And so during the Great Tribulation, this woman will find a place in the wilderness, which Yahushua calls the mountains in the wilderness, to find safety when the abomination of desolation is set up. And so who is this woman who will flee to the wilderness to find protection? Who is that woman? Well, we know in 12, 1 down to 2, now a great sign appeared in heaven, 
a woman clothed with the sun, with the uh, moon under her feet and on her head, a garland of false stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and his throne. So who is this woman? It is Israel. It's not a literal woman because this woman is likened, it was given a sign and it's speaking of the sun, the moon under her feet. These are all symbols and signs pertaining to Israel. And so who gave birth to Yahushua? Who gave birth to Yahushua? Mary. Right? Of course it's Mary. Mary gave birth to Yahushua. But who was Mary? She was an Israelite. Israel gave birth to Yahushua. This is why we know from prophecy she will come from Bethlehem. She will come from Judah. And so we know Messiah is going to come from Israel. Israel gives birth to Messiah, the Savior of man, who is not pleased when Messiah was born, the dragon. This is why the dragon is very, very upset, and he's very angry against the woman. Who is the woman? Israel. The woman is Israel. And so God prepared a place for Israel during the Great Tribulation. This is the mercy and compassion of the Father. Yeah, Israel killed his only beloved son. But Yahuwah does not give up on the people of Israel. And so after the harpazo, when the people of Israel become jealous because the ecclesia is saved, it provoked, when they're provoked to jealousy, they begin to search for the Messiah. They begin to realize, you know what? The ecclesia is right. The Messiah is Yahushua. And so we need to place our faith in Yahushua. And so there are these Israelites who now are being drawn to Yahushua, but they're going to be persecuted. Yahuwah has a place of refuge for those who are going to be attacked. Who's going to attack them? The dragon. You notice in verses 13 down to 14, the dragon uh, saw that he had been cast out to the earth, and the dragon was enraged against the woman. And so the woman finds refuge in the wilderness. This is why when you see anti-Semitism, we can now understand the root behind it, the true cause, the true original source of anti-Semitism is who? The dragon or the devil. This is why we cannot expect that anti-Semitism is going to cool off. No, even after World War II, there was a steady rise of anti-Semitism. Even today, when people are protesting in different places throughout the United States and all over the free world. We have people protesting against Israel. And so it's really the one behind it is the dragon because he hates Israel. Why does he hate, he hate Israel? Because she gave birth to who? The Messiah, who is the savior of mankind. So the dragon is upset. He wants to destroy and annihilate Israel. And so what does the dragon do? He is going to use the powerful instrument. Who do you think that powerful instrument is that the dragon is going to use to destroy Israel? I mean, if you if you thought Hitler was bad, 
This one's a lot worse than Hitler. If you thought the Holocaust was bad, what's going to come soon against the people of Israel, it will make the Holocaust really very, uh, insignificant in comparison. And so who will the dragon use to annihilate and destroy the people of Israel? It would be who? Well, let's read 13, 4 to 7. So they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worship the beast, saying, who is like the beast, who is able to make war with him. And he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. How many years is 42 months? 3.5 years. And so it's speaking about the, the great tribulation again. 3.5 years. The dragon who is enraged against the woman, he's going to wage war against the woman. He's going to just try to destroy the woman. And so he uses as an instrument this figure called the beast. He's also called the Antichrist. And for 3.5 years, he will be given authority. Yahuwah would allow this beast to prosper, to make war, and to win wars. And so he's going to be ruling over a majority of the world. And then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle. It tells you about the abomination of desolation and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And so we know this beast is going to be a problem for all the world. And so all those who are worshiping Yahuwah and Yahusha, the saints of God, they're going to be under attack by this beast. But also at the crosshairs of this beast is who? Israel. And so he's going to use his military might to wipe out, to destroy the people of Israel. And so Yahusha says, go to the mountains right away. Those who are in Judea, because this Antichrist is going to invade the Holy Land, and he's going to make it his headquarters, and he's going to destroy the people who are there. The Israelites, he's going to destroy them. So what does Yahusha say? Flee to the mountain. So where are these mountains? When we look at the map of Israel, right, you see Judah and Jerusalem. This is likely where Judea is located, right, Judah, Judea. And our King Yahushua says to go to the mountains, which is also near the wilderness. If you go to Israel today, we know that the wilderness is in southern Israel. And so the hills towards the wilderness is somewhere there at the southern part of Judah in Edom by Moab, at, uh, south of the Dead Sea. And so this place is likely the place where King Yahusha instructed his disciples to run to this place called Edom. Now, which is this place called Edom? Why do we believe that this is the place of refuge where they can find safety, at least for a while, protection, from the attack of the beast. Let's read the book of Psalms 90. There's a mysterious passage here in Psalms 90, uh, 16, 9, 12. Who will bring me to the strong city? Who will lead me to Edom? 
Is it not you, O God, who cast us off? And you, O God, who did not go out with our armies? Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. Though God, uh, through God, we will do valiantly, for it is he who shall tread down our enemies. And so you notice Israel will never run out of enemies. Not today, not in the future, they're going to have enemies. And right now, they rely on their military might. But eventually, that military might is not going to suffice. It's not going to overcome their enemies. And so when the Antichrist comes, he's going to make war, and he's going to be given authority for three and a half years. Israel is going to be basically defenseless and helpless, even if they rely on their military might. It's not strong enough. This is why they begin to realize, you know what? We need the help of Yahuwah. Maybe Yahusha is the Messiah. So they begin to think. Because remember, they just saw that the ecclesia has been saved. And so they're left behind with their military might. That's not good enough. And so they begin to realize, you know, maybe we should begin to see Yahusha worship Yahuwah and rely on his help because he has abandoned us. He has not helped us thus far. And so they begin to, the psalm is about that sentinel who will bring me to the strong city, who will lead me to Edom. And so Edom apparently is the place where they will find refuge. And if you go back to the map, Edom is a, a, a mountainous area right near the wilderness. Now who or what is Edom? Who lived in Edom in the past? Bible says in Genesis, so Esau dwelt in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. So in Edom, there's a mountain called Seir. And there's a city on Mount Seir. And that's where the Edomites live. And when you speak of the Edomites, we're talking about the descendants of who? Esau. Who is Esau? The brother of Jacob. And so would it be a part of Yahuwah's plan to use Jacob's brother as a place for Jacob, whose name is Israel, as a place of refuge in the future? Oh, why not? Right? And so this place called Mount Seir, according to the Bible, used to be occupied by the Horites until the Edomites conquered them. And it's by the wilderness. And so this mountainous place by the wilderness is Edom, Mount Seir. And apparently the people of Israel on their way to the promised land pass through Mount Seir or the Edomites. And Yahuwah says to the people of Israel um, and gave Yahuwah gave an instruction to the people of Israel when they pass through Mount Seir, when they pass through Edom. It says in Deuteronomy and Yahuwah spoke to me saying you have skirted this mountain long enough. Turn northward and command the people saying you are about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. Do not meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as one footstep. Because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You shall buy food from them with money. 
that you may eat. And you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. And so here, Yahuwah was warning the people of Israel, you're not going to get even a foot, right? You're not, not even a footstep are you going to get from the land that is from Edom. Because that's going, that's that was given by me to Esau, Edom. And so Mount Seir in Edom, it's on a mountain. That city is called Mount Seir. But that city is also called by its Hebrew name, Basra. Basra is the Hebrew name of the city of Mount Seir. So the Edomites occupied that land. But around 400 BC, the Nabataeans, the descendants of Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael, look at that, Abraham's firstborn son by Sarah's handmaid Hagar, occupied Edom and made it the capital and religious center of their kingdom. So the Nabataeans, descendants of Ishmael, conquered the Edomites. They make Edom their capital and religious center. And eventually Greece takes uh, becomes powerful and occupies that territory. And there's sort of this influence of Greece. So Greece influences Nabataean culture and language. And so the city became known, Basra becomes known as Petra, which means rock. And so Edom is Basra. Basra is Petra. And so Petra is the place today which the remnants of Israel are to flee to when the abomination of desolation is set up. Because this place called Edom, Mount Seir, is along the place where near the wilderness of Zin, the southern portion of Israel. Today, this place, Petra, is in Jordan. <laughs> and this is how Petra looks like. Um, those who had the privilege to go to Petra, it's considered one of the seven wonders of the world because of its beauty. Those who go to Petra, they wish they could stay there longer. It's like, it's like you're transported to a different whole world. <laughs> it's like unlike any other world that you ever see. But to get to Petra, right? You have to travel to, you have to go through like a, what is called a gorge, which is in between two mountains, like a narrow valley, right? You have to go through that tunnel. It's not really a tunnel, but it's like a gorge that takes you, it's a narrow path that leads to the city. And so you have to walk about a mile to get to Petra. And so once you get to Petra, you see this beautiful city, beautiful place. Right, and when you look around you, when you look at all the uh, the rock formations that surround you, and you look at the gorge, it many people who go there are reminded of being in a sheepfold or a sheep pen, because during the days of Israel, even during the first century, uh, when the sheep would graze the pasture lands, there are sheep pens made of rock, and re this reminds them of that sheep pen made of rock. And so this place called Petra, which used to be called Basra, is going to be the place of refuge for the remnants of Israel when they flee from the Antichrist, when the abomination of desolation is set up. And so it's not surprising 
that this is a place of prophecy because in Micah 2.12, it tells us, I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of thee. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as the sheep of Basra. And so this place called Basra or Edom is the place where you're going to hide, find a refuge from the Antichrist. But here's my question, right? Why doesn't the Antichrist just attack Israel in Petra, in Basra, right? I mean, he has authority over many nations, and he is a man of war. And so those who go to war with him, the rhetorical question in Revelation 13, who dare go to war with him? And so but doesn't it make sense that he would just follow Israel? All the way in Petra and destroy them? Well, one of the wonderful things in Petra is like it's hidden, right? Before you find the city, it's hidden. And it's like before you can enter the city, you have to go through this gorge. But there's also a prophecy in Daniel chapter 11. And Daniel 11 is talking about the little horn or the Antichrist. And the Bible says in prophecy in Daniel 11, this Antichrist will enter the glorious land and many countries shall be overthrown. So he will use his military might to over, overthrow many nations because he's been given that authority and power. But these shall escape from his hand. Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. And so in the future, when the Antichrist rises in power, he's going to control Syria and Iraq and all these nations, Russia, Turkey is going to control all these nations, the Antichrist, because of his power of military might. But Edom, Moab, and Ammon, they will not be included among those overthrown by the Antichrist. And so there is this place that's not within the jurisdiction of the Antichrist, Edom, Moab, and Ammon. And the nation of Jordan today encompasses what was Edom, Moab, and Ammon. If you look at the map, there's Judah, Edom, Moab, and Ammon. They comprise what is called Jordan today. And so Jordan, apparently in the future, they will not make a covenant with the Antichrist. That's pretty brave of them, right? And so according to prophecy, this region right here will not be included among those overthrown by the Antichrist. But of course, eventually, the devil is not going to give up, right? Because I don't think he will be hindered forever. This is why the Bible says in Isaiah 26, how long will the remnant of Israel be able to hide for? Come, my people, enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment until the indignation is passed. For behold, Yahuwah comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. The earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain. So the Bible tells us that the people of Israel, remnant of Israel, is going to hide because they, were, they will enter chambers. The word chambers in Hebrew is like a cave. It turns out they're in Petra, 
there's lots and lots of caves and it can accommodate 3 million people. You know that? 3 million people, because when you go to Petra, people have, archeologists have uncovered, it's like an Atlantis in the sand. 70% of Petra is actually underground. So these are like the chambers where the remnants of Israel can find refuge, but only for a time. They will hide for a little moment until such a time comes when Yahuwah will send his son as his representative to carry out the work. You see, when all this is happening, the people of Israel, they are repenting. They are mourning. Because when the ecclesia leaves and the Antichrist comes and sets up the abomination of desolation, what begins to happen? Israel will receive the grace of supplication. Bible says, and I will pour out the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. And what better place to really mourn and to really grieve than to be in a place where you are hiding from the enemy. That's when you begin to really contemplate and to become truly repentant. And you realize, wait a minute, the one we pierced is the Messiah. And so they will begin to acknowledge Yahusha is the Messiah. Why is this important? Because Yahusha says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings but you were not willing. See, your house has left you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of Yahuwah. And so when the abomination of desolation set up, the persecution comes in, they're being threatened and annihilated as a people, they begin to call upon Yahushua. They begin to mourn and offer supplications. And they begin to call upon Yahushua and accept him as the one who is the Messiah. And when that happens, what's Yahushua going to do? He's going to come back. He's going to come back. They will see him again. This is why Yahushua says, flee to the mountains. Flee to Bozrah. Flee to Edom. Flee to Bozrah. Why? Do you know why Yahushua tells the remnant of Israel to go to Bozrah, to go to Edom? Because Isaiah 63, 1 4 tells us, who is this who comes from Edom, from the city of Basra, with his clothing stained red? I'm going to pause there for a while. This is a prophecy about the Messiah. It's speaking about someone who is coming from Edom, from the city of Basra, and his clothing is stained red. Who is this in royal robes, marching in his great strength, it is I, Yahuwah, announcing your salvation. It is I, Yahuwah, who has the power to save. Why are your clothes so red as if you have been treading out grapes? I have been treading the winepress alone. No one was there to help me. In my anger, I have trampled my enemies as if they were grapes. In my fury, I have trampled my foes. Their blood has stained my clothes. 
for the time has come for me to avenge my people, to ransom them from their oppressors. And so just as the remnant of Israel is going to be attacked by the forces of the Antichrist, the prophecy says, who is this who would save them? Who is this who wears royal robes? I mean, who wears royal robes? The kings. But this king is not just any king. He is the king of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, wait. He is wearing royal robes, but it is red. Why is it red? Because of the enemy's blood. It's like he trampled his enemies as though they were grapes. Yes, as though he was treading the wine press. And the Bible says he did this alone. And so in Basra and in Edom, Yahushua is going to announce the salvation of God. He's going to trample over the enemies. Revelation 19. Who could that be? Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. The logos of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and white and clean, followed him on his white on his white horses, on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he would strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. So the one who appears in Basra in Edom is who? Who is the one who is dressed with a royal robe, but it becomes red blood. It is none other than the Logos of God, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. When will he return to earth? On Judgment Day. The second coming of Yahushua. Take note, this is not for the rapture. Because those who are going to, when Yahushua returns to earth, we're going to be with him from heaven. And so when he returns to earth, he's going to destroy the enemies of Israel. This is why after he destroys the enemies of Israel, he will stop. He will go to the Mount of Olives and he will bring salvation, the salvation of Yahuwah to his people. This is why... Yahushua tells them, go to the mountains, go to Bozrah, go to Edom. You know why? Because Yahushua is going to meet them there and save them from their enemies. And so for us who belong to Yahushua, we also have a place where Yahushua will meet us. But it's not in the mountains. Yahushua tells the remnant of Israel to go to the mountains when you see the abomination of desolation set up. For us, the ecclesia who belonged to him, there was a different place that we are told to go to. Do you know where that is? In the final passage of our studies today, Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words.
For us, our meeting place is not in the hideouts, in the caves, or in the mountains. No. Our meeting place is where? In the clouds. When Yahushua descends from heaven with a shout, with the trumpet of God, Yahushua comes. And he takes us. Called the Harpazo. He's going to take us to the clouds with him. And if we belong to Yahushua and we die before this event happens, from our graves we will rise and we will go to Yahushua in the clouds to be with him forevermore. This is why our King Yahushua and the Apostle Paul tells us concerning those who pass, concerning those who die, do not worry. He is the resurrection and the life. We will see them again. We will be with them together with Yahushua in the clouds and be with him forevermore. Yahushua has a place in store for us. He is preparing the many mansions in heaven where we shall dwell with him forevermore. That is our lesson. Let us stand when we shall pray together. Almighty and most holy Abba Yahuwah, thank you for the hope that we have. Because of your beloved son, we have redemption, restoration. Now we eagerly await that day when you will send him that we can be with you through him forevermore. Our King Yahushua, we watch for your return. We long for your return because for us, we know what it means. Our salvation, our redemption, teach us to endure, to fix our eyes upon you, that we will not be weighed down by the sorrows of life, by the cares of life. Instead, we shall be affixed to you and forever praise you and forever worship you. May you be with us in times of sorrow, in times of sadness, because in this life, many things can happen that can affect us negatively, like death, sickness, poverty, hardship, fear. But you are our rock. You have been given as a place of refuge for us. Yahushua, we need you. Comfort and strengthen us. Help us to be encouraged when things begin to happen that point to prophecies being fulfilled. May we be filled with joy because we know Soon, very soon, we will see you face to face. We will hear your voice. We will be with you forevermore. Father, thank you. This is your work. This is the logos that you have set up long ago. It's part of your plan. And we cannot wait to be with you, to dwell in your home, where you can be our father. You can be our Abba forevermore. We ask and beg everything, Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior. Yahusha Amashida. Amen.